0: Hello everyone, I wonder if, like me, you're a fan of the true crime documentaries and series that seem to dominate the television schedules. It seems that many of us have a somewhat morbid curiosity about these kinds of things. There's a phenomenon known as the CSI effect, and it describes the effect that this high-profile television show has had on the perception of those working in the forensic science field, and how criminal cases are actually tackled. But I'll be speaking about that in another podcast soon. In this one, I'd like to focus on a specific area of forensic investigation, namely blood pattern or blood spatter analysis. Now, bloodstain patterns are physical, geometric images created by the blood contacting a surface or by a surface contacting the blood. The the geometric images that I'm referring to of interest are primarily those created once the blood leaves the body. Now, what I'm interested in is what an investigator can learn from the analysis of a blood spatter. Well, there's a whole host of things, including the type and the velocity of weapon used, if indeed there was one, the number of blows, the handedness of the assailant, whether they were left or right-handed, the position or the movements of the victim and the assailant during and after a possible attack, which wounds were inflicted first, the type of the injuries, that are seen, how long ago the crime is committed, and whether the death was immediate or even just delayed. I mean, to me, that sounds like a really comprehensive list, but the methods employed are not without controversy. More of that a little bit later. Now, in, in these types of podcasts, I normally like to refer to actual case studies. I find it gives it some story, if you like. It puts the more technical aspects into a real life context. In So I'm just picking a few examples. In 1986, Lindy Chamberlain claimed that a dingo ate her baby, Azaria. It's a very, very high-profile case. Now, forensic experts found evidence, however, that Lindy had slit her baby's throat in the family vehicle. Now, the problem with this, though, is that the evidence that they found wasn't actually blood uh, at all. It was just spilled juice. Now, Lindy Chamberlain, she was convicted of murder and her husband was charged with being an accessory to murder, mostly, some argue, in the court of public opinion. Now, Lindy was in prison for three years before a new piece of evidence, the baby's jacket, was found to exonerate her. Despite this happening in 1986, the baby's official cause of death wasn't changed to death by Dingo until 2012. Now, whilst... I appreciate this isn't quite a tale of blood pattern analysis. It does highlight the importance of proper forensic investigation and the need to cast a critical eye over any specimen samples that are found. Marissa DeVault charged, or charged, chain rather, changed her story multiple times when charged with murdering her husband in 2009 with a hammer. Now, at first, she claimed her husband Dale Harrell. Had uh, choked her until she was unconscious, and that she awoke from an attack by this unknown man with a hammer, who had already killed her husband. Now Devolt's next story was that she murdered Harold after he had sexually assaulted her. Now neither of these stories held up in court, and blood spatter analysis was key to her conviction. The evidence actually revealed that Harold was alone in the bed when he was attacked and spatter on the man's clothing had also uh, all of the telltale signs of someone who had been repeatedly hit from above in 1994 and this is probably the most well w- known uh, of all the, the cases that I've uh, been mentioning in 1994 former NFL player and actor OJ Simpson was tried on two counts of murder for the deaths of uh, his ex-wife Nicole Brown Simpson and restaurant waiter Ronald Goldman now Simpson was uh declared not guilty of murder on both of the counts. No ar- additional arrests or convictions have been made since. The case has been described as the most publicised criminal trial in history. Now, quite astonishingly, there was a vast amount of blood evidence. So, for example, the killer had dropped blood near shoe prints at Bundy, Bundy being the home address. Blood dropped at Bundy was the same type as Simpson's. Now here's the interesting bit, only 0.5% of the population roughly would match that. Simpson had fresh cuts on the left hand on the day after the murder. Blood was found in the Bronco, the car that he owned. Blood was found in the foyer in the master bedroom of the Simpson home. And blood was even found on Simpson's driveway and on socks in OJ's home. And that matched Nicole's. Now let's be clear. I am not in any way making any criminal judgment, but what I am saying is that when you have copious amounts of blood evidence, or even just small quantities, blood pattern analysis can prove to be a really useful forensic tool. So before we get into aspects of pattern analysis, let's just discuss some key terms that I'll be using. So spatter, as I've mentioned before, refers to bloodstains created from the application of force to the area where the blood originated. Now, the origin of the source is the place clearly from where the blood spatter came from or originated. And the angle of impact is the angle at which the blood droplet perhaps strikes a surface. Parent drops are those from which a satellite spatter originate. And satellite spatters are small drops of blood that break off from the parent spatter when the blood droplet hits a surface and one of the crucial term that we need to discuss are spines. Spines are, uh, sp- the, the, they describe basically the pointed edges of a stain that seem to radiate out from a spatter. Now they're really useful because the spines can help determine the direction from which the blood travelled. So let's begin with the types of blood stains that you're likely to find. So, passive blood stains, they're the ones uh, where the patterns created primarily from the force of gravity so what you get um, are are drops or maybe a series of drops flow patterns blood pools for example projected blood stains are patterns that occur when a force is applied to the source of the blood so I'm I'm thinking about low medium or high impact spatters arterial spurting expiratory blood so blown out of the nose mouth or even just a wound and finally, let's think about contact bloodstains. So these are the patterns that are created when a wet, bloody object comes in contact with a target surface. And that may be used to identify an object or body part. A wipe pattern is created from an object moving through a bloodstain, whilst a swipe, slightly different, a swipe pattern is created from an object leaving a bloodstain. Now, in all of this, it's important to consider the type of surfaces that we're dealing with. Really coarse surfaces cause irregularities in the patterns that you see. Blood may uh, break up on impact and it may actually start to follow the contour of a surface. The problem is that impact angles and directionality become far less reliable as the surface becomes more porous, allowing things in, essentially. So let's delve a little bit deeper into the categories that I've mentioned. Starting with the passive blood stains. Those patterns which generally result from the free flow of blood. Now what you can see are passive flow patterns. So that's when blood just flows freely. You get passive saturation patterns. So that's when blood just flows to saturate an area. Something called passive saturation. So for example in cloth there may be a secondary Uh, secondary patterns from the cloth folded on in it itself and something that uh, we often refer to as passive pool patterns and this is just when blood flows freely into a pool. Now with all of these you normally can spot things like uh, trails or drips of blood and blood is also seen to free flow around a surface if you like projected bloodstains on the other hand result from blood sent with a degree of energy other than gravity from an origin to a surface so blood is you could say it's kind of shot it's flung the blood is hurled at a surface if you like arterial spur or gush patterns occur when blood leaves the body under such pressure so perhaps maybe a breached artery if an artery has been damaged or cut you'd certainly get that now, some say the pattern looks almost rhythmic in nature, in the way that it forms. When, uh, it's an interesting point to make, when blood is projected from the mouth or the nose or a gaping wound, it forms an expirated pattern. Now, often an expirated pattern is found with saturation and pool patterns. Expirated patterns have the appearance of sort of medium to low velocity blood spatter. And they may also be found with arterial spurt patterns and cast off patterns. So let's look at instrumental projected patterns. Now, these are caused in part by an instrument that is part of the origination of the blood spatter. So, some examples of instruments, some things about here knife, firearm, a a board, a swinging hand, even a kicking foot, a bat, quite simply. Now, velocity is crucial here. So high energy or high velocity in terms of blood projection involves measurements of around about 100 feet a second or even more. And you see this with firearms and airplane propellers, power equipment. You often get this kind of misting appearance of the blood. And the spatters are really only about less than a millimetre in diameter. Medium velocity, we're talking around 25 feet a second that the blood's moving or maybe just a little bit more so we're thinking more like a swinging knife a bat as i said before a kicking foot a swinging hand ex- even expirated blood or arterial blood what we find is that very low velocity blood spatters uh come from things like free falling blood blood just dropping from a, a cut finger even a bleed a, a bleeding nose simple nosebleed, other wounds or just uh a near immobile instrument bleeding walking subjects may leave this kind of low velocity trail behind them. You'll see as well with these size differences in the drips. Now, the size difference in free falling drips can be due to distance, the surface from which the blood is actually uh, dripping even. And when blood drips into other bits of blood, which can happen, and this is a really interesting scenario you'll notice these smaller satellite stains and examiners forensic examiners will compare these with the radial stains from a volume drop now ultimately in most of the true crime tv shows that you that you may watch you hear them speak about back spatter so let's consider what that actually is now back spatter generally applies to uh, firearm phenomena where the blood from the wound is also forced backwards, if you like, onto the subject of a surface. So hands are a common backspatter surface, and it's really easy to confuse that with expirated blood. Let's think about, for a moment, impact blood stains. So these are produced when blood splashes, but they can also be produced from blood falling into other pools of blood, or an object impacting the blood. And you tend to get these characteristic, again, spiny edges, sort of circumferential surrounding stains so circular in nature in a way now with these blood patterns it's particularly important for forensic examiners to distinguish between a transfer so perhaps a bloody surface to a secondary surface so like a a bloody hand to a wall for example or whether what they're seeing is contact so when an object surface contacts the blood so such as a shoe print The thing with a swipe, where a a bloody object moves across a surface, such as hair, or a wipe and that's where the object moves through the blood like a hand through a drop, is that those those two can sometimes be quite difficult to distinguish. Wipes are sometimes a little more difficult to tell apart, um, especially when an object in question is a brush. So with wipes also you tend to notice the remaining kind of skeleton of the original stain. Because there's been this kind of, typically, this feathering out, if you like, of the swipe. But on the plus side, that can indicate a direction. One category of blood pattern that I haven't alluded to are those which we describe as artifactual. So we think about artifacts. Now, these are patterns that are extraneous to direct human blood loss. So let's think of some fly artifacts, for example, are patterns created by flies. Bugs and other insects can also create the same kind of pattern. Now I've seen some crime scene photos where it's really quite easy to pick out these artefactual bloodstain patterns. There were fly, in one particular picture I remember seeing these fly spots on the kitchen wall right above the head of double homicide victims. So both victims had received handgun head wounds. And the blood was on the wall, but you could see that flies had come and landed on the blood and created these kind of artifactual fly spots, if you like. Bloodstained clothing requires a slightly different approach to analysis. The impact angle calculations don't usually apply, but directionality determinations are possible. So, with contact, transfer, and passive actions, you usually see blood on just one side of the clothing, and projected related actions. Typically, you see stains on both sides of clothing. I'm sure many of you listening to this podcast are aware of the tragic murder case of Stephen Lawrence. A tiny speck of Stephen Lawrence's blood, found by investigators on the jacket collar of one of his alleged, fi- uh, alleged killers, rather, was too small to be spotted by two earlier forensic examinations. Scientific techniques were not really advanced enough to analyse that microscopic spot, When the examinations were carried out back in 1993 and 1995 so two years apart but thankfully years later his alleged killers well two of them were convicted based on the blood work analysis so i mentioned the concept of impact angle calculations just to clarify that's when forensic practitioners would deduce what we call lines of convergence so we use two or more blood spatters to pinpoint Almost the location of the original blood source. Okay, so they've just got a bit of a short introduction to blood pattern analysis and some of the key characteristics that we look for when classifying them. Now, here's the thing. This is the, the crux of it. Although the reliability of blood spatter analysis has never been proven or quantified, its steady admission by courts has rarely wavered, even as the technique, along with other forensic sciences, began facing increased scrutiny. Now, back, even back in 2009, there was a watershed report that was commissioned by the National Academy of Sciences, and it cast doubt on the whole discipline, finding that, and I quote, "...the uncertainties associated with bloodstain pattern analysis are enormous." And experts' opinions were generally more subjective than scientific. But still, having said that, judges continually allow spatter experts to testify. Subsequent large-scale research funded by the Department of Justice in the US raised questions about the experts' methods and conclusions. But from that, very little changed. So at the start of this podcast, I asked the question, What can investigator or what can investigator learn from the analysis of a blood spatter? Well, it seems the answer is still a great deal. We just need to take a slightly more critical approach to that evidence. On that note, I'd like to say thank you everyone for listening.